Welcome to the debate at Newsweek. I'm Andrew Tallman, and today we're joined by Amani Wells Anyoha, the director of operations at Soul Strategies, and John Daniel Davidson from The Federalist. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And hey, Amani, I just have to check that I get it right. Yes, you did. <laughs> Outstanding. I'll take the win. Well, we were all up late last night and we still don't know a lot of some of the results anyway. So mm-hmm. first question for you, Amani, just open ended. What's your take on what you saw yesterday? Uh, pleasantly surprised. <laughs> so I was I thought we was going to get whooped. I thought we was going to get drugged all through the mud. I did not think it was going to be pretty. Um, some states that were really important to me, like Beto, we lost in Texas. So that's sad. Um, Stacey lost her gov- her bid for governor. So that was really unfortunate, too. But overall, we didn't do that bad. And it looks like at this point we might hang on to the House. Um, and if we do lose the Senate, it may be anywhere between like one to three seats. It's not going to be like a terrible loss. So overall, it's a mixed bag, but it's a much better night um, than we thought. John, what do you think? Yeah, I, I like everybody. I was surprised. You know, I think anyone who was making predictions based on the traditional factors going into a midterm, which is the unpopularity of the president uh, and approval ratings, you know, which direction is the country going, economic issues, and then the polls. If you looked at all those things, you were led astray in your expectations. And I think most people were led astray, uh, including me. Uh, But I I would caution, and you see a lot of this last night and and today, of these sort of single explanation analyses, you know, it's like, oh, it it was this or it was that. It was Trump or it was the Dobbs decision and abortion. I think that there was a whole bunch of different factors that all played out in different ways in different parts of the country, which is why you saw, to Amani's point, you know, candidates like Beto O'Rourke and Stacey Abrams fail in some places and in other places, uh, Republicans who, uh, you know, a lot of people had high hopes for, like Carrie Lake uh, or, or Blake Masters in Arizona, completely also not meet those expectations. So I, there's a lot going on uh, and there's a lot of different reasons, I think, why we saw what we saw last night. You know, clearly the expectation, I mean, everybody knows that the expectation was going to be a Republican bloodbath, that it was going to be a massive red wave everywhere. And, uh, you know, I'm here in Florida. We had a red wave that was one state large. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, the, the rest <laughs> of it was barely a ripple for the country. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to your point, John, I, I think what we might have seen yesterday oddly, is exactly that, that people voted for individual candidates in individual circumstances and individual states instead of some kind of collective countrywide group think, go red, go not red, whatever. Um, I think the results are such a mixed bag that it's almost like we had a real election based on individual situations. Amani, you think that's what happened? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think we saw a lot of different strategies taking place all over the country, and some strategies boded well in places and some strategies didn't. Um, I think Las Vegas was really interesting, just some anecdotal evidence, but there wasn't a lot of heavy campaigning going on on the Democratic side, and I think that's why those seats suffered like that. Um, But then you have people like Tim Ryan in Ohio, who ran a really strong race, and he was able to lose by seven. It's still a loss, but he did better than projected. You had John Fetterman come in and win, which was a really big win. And then we saw all of those. um, One thing, a lot of those uh, denial 
governor candidates lost, like almost, I think all of them lost. Um, so that was an interesting thing to see it was just to see like where the country really stood on a lot of these issues. And like you were saying on a national level, uh, we assumed that a lot of people's bases were going to go one way or the other. Um, but we did see that a lot of the more moderate Republicans did well, like a lot of the ones who were just kind of doing their own thing, being good old fashioned conservatives won, And then some of the more extreme ones, they took a major L last night. It seems like maybe both sides bought into a myth, the myth that uh, Biden and inflation is the end all be all of this election. And the voters had their own ideas, (laughs) John. Yeah. And and like I said, it's a rational assumption to make that given the, the problems that we have with inflation, given the problems we have with the economy, given Biden's approval ratings, you know, I think the Democrats the Democratic candidates who did not campaign heavily with Biden did themselves a favor, right? Uh, and just kind of ran their own races and and responded to uh, the, their own situations uh, in their localities or in their states did well. You know, to, to the point about um, about issues that that motivated or didn't motivate. I think a lot of it had to do with. Uh, candidates reading their electorates and knowing what the right strategy would be. And and I, I'll take for an, ex- an example, the abortion issue. We were told after the Dobbs decision came out that this was going to be a huge motivating factor and that it was going to cost, you know, the Republicans, the house. Uh, and, and then we saw a huge democratic spend, something like 320 million or more, more than Democrats spent on on all the other issues combined, trying to sort of uh, leverage that and motivate their base. But we also saw, and, and so and so that's one narrative that's out there last night and today that oh it was it was Dobbs that blunted the wave and that and that Democrats were able to use the abortion issue to motivate their base uh, and sort of stop a red wave from happening. On the other hand. Republican governors in Ohio, Georgia, New Hampshire, Texas, and Florida all passed post-Dobbs abortion restrictions, and they all did very well last night. They were the winners. And so I think I think the narrative is more complicated than just saying, oh, you know, Dobbs motivated Democrats to come out and vote for abortion. It did the opposite in some places. In some places, when where Republicans leaned into the issue, defended their their position uh, and didn't shy away from it. They did better than Republicans who tried to run from it. So one of the big questions and, uh, you know, it was kind of like really the big question going in was how much influence would Trump have? How much influence would Biden have? We know the Democrat strategy in some places was to push Trump candidates in an effort. I mean, there was an activist push in uh, several locations to push more extreme candidates in the hopes that once they got past the primary, Democrats would do a better job at beating them in the general election. That worked in at least four cases. Does that plus so many of the Trump endorsed candidates not winning? Does that mean that his power has waned as hold over the GOP at this point, Amani? Um. I think only time will tell. I believe that Trump's base is still very, very strong, but I do believe the party as a whole may be trying to, or just the more bigger players in the party may be trying to separate themselves from Trump. Um, and then we kind of seen some of the <laughs> Ron DeSantis. What did you say? I didn't yeah, Ron, you because I was interesting enough. I was watching um, a video today. It was somebody like at a Trump rally and they were going up to people saying who you got DeSantis or Trump. And you could tell they were thinking hard. <laughs> they were like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, so in a not in a perfect world, but there are 
there's indications that he may not have that strong of a, of a reign as he used to. And there's indications that there are some Republicans who want to just go back to being Republicans. Like a lot of the um, the rhetoric, the more extreme rhetoric isn't really helping the party. It's, it's not helping the party. And I think that may be something that's starting to kind of put a flare up in their mind. And they think like, OK, maybe we can still win somehow and not have this guy be our mascot anymore. Who knows? What's your assessment, John, of the uh, the role Trump is playing these days? I mean, at one point, certainly the orthodoxy was <laughs> without his support, you can't win. And with his support, you probably can't lose, uh, you know, at least at the primary level. But the results last night are extraordinarily concerning if you're a believer in Trump leading the party, right? Yeah. Well, again, there is a bit of a paradox here, right? Because who is the most Trump-like candidate? in the conservative, uh, you know, pantheon of candidates last night, it's Ron DeSantis, right? Absolutely. Uh, so setting aside the sort of more recent spatting between the two of them, Ron DeSantis has almost molded his political career off a Trump-like posture toward a whole range of issues. He is a populist. Uh, he's not a Republican in the old you know, Mitt Romney, Mitch McConnell type of mold of establishment Republicans. He's a populist, a right-wing populist Republican, and, and he represents a, a, a big and growing part of the party. And look at the new voters that he was able to bring in. Uh, Miami-Dade County is 70% Hispanic, and he, he won it uh, by by large margin. Um, this was this was a, a county that Hillary Clinton, I think, won by more than 20 points in 2016. So I don't I, I think Miami Dade might have been read for the first time ever. I'm not I, I you know, and same thing for Palm Beach, like counties you never see go red in these elections. Huge. So it's a huge number of new voters that that are coming into the party, and they're responding to a more populist message. So it's not as it's neat as saying. Uh, Republicans have rejected sort of the 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 MAGA posture or the populist posture. I don't think that that's true. What I'm hearing is that a lot of people who are Trump supporters who liked Trump, to Imani's point, they don't really want to say it out loud, but they would like mm -hmm. to move on from Trump and keep Trump's agenda, but just not with just not with Trump. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there's a weird sense. Go ahead, Imani. Go ahead. Uh I was just going to chime in and say you're 100% correct. And I was reading your article earlier and I agree with a lot of it. I think um, what we're seeing on both sides is people want candidates that they feel like personally care about them and the issues in their lives. And I feel like that's why a lot of them are clinging to more extreme candidates and that more populist type of posturing, because it makes it seem like I'm one of the guys. I'm just like you. Um, these gas prices suck. I know like it's more of a relatable feeling that they're looking for. And that is a problem with um, a lot of the more, like you said, the, um, the old school Republicans and a lot of the establishment Democrats. It's just very I'm so up here. I have let me button my tie, straighten, straighten myself up, dust myself off. And it's like, no one wants to be spoken down to no matter what party they affiliate with. And I think that's why we see some of those candidates doing so well. I think for a lot of Democrats, uh, or sorry, for a lot of Republicans, when they're thinking about Trump, there's this internal caution. I don't really want to come out and say it just yet. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be yeah, the one safe? to say. Is it safe yeah, to say? It, can, can I can I can I say I'm with Ron and not with uh, Don? You know, can I can I can I go that path? Uh, because when they stepped on that rail the last time, it burned them really bad. And you know, it, you had to be with Trump or else. And it just doesn't look like it's that way anymore. 
Well, there certainly is going to be some reassessment among the donor class and I think among elected Republicans as well. So, you know, the results of this midterm were good for DeSantis. They were bad for Trump. They were they're also, I would argue, bad for Biden in a way. Um, In in some ways, Democrats would have been better off if if they had been hit with a red wave uh, looking ahead to 2024. as it stands, even if Republicans win a majority in the House, they won't really be able to do anything except except uh, block, which is all they have been able to do uh, for the past two years. But uh, th- there is a sense, I think, that people are, are in the Republican donor world and among Republican elected officials of wondering at what point is it worth it to com- continue kind of kissing the ring uh, of Trump? Uh, and and if there are diminishing returns to that, at, you know, at, at what point do you try to sort of quietly uh, move on from him? Now, Trump's not going to make that very easy. And we'll see what happens with this announcement uh, coming up on November yeah. 15th. Um, I think was you know planned well before the midterms and was probably planned with a different result in mind from the midterms. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see what he says. I can't imagine that an announcement that he's going to run next week for 2024 uh, is going to be very well received among Republicans. Uh, I had, which, uh, which I had goes, one person suggest to me today that the uh, his ideal scenario is that Trump comes out next week and says, "And I'm endorsing Ron DeSantis as your next president." Like you know, that would marry the problems, solve everything, and avoid it. Yeah, Amani, we're going to talk about uh, the Democratic Party in a second, but any last thoughts before we take a break on that role of Trump? DeSantis, I mean, DeSantis won by almost twenty percent, a million and a half votes in a state that he barely won after a recount uh, 32,000 votes four years ago. That's amazing. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a huge win for him. And I think the voters and the party itself knows that he's like their next shining star. He's younger, like he's just a young, hip, fresh version of Trump and uh, a bit more competent than Trump. And I think the party will enjoy that. I think the base will think that a lot of their agenda will get done um, better and there won't be so many antics and shenanigans surrounding him all the time that kind of distract from what they're trying to do. So it'll be interesting to see if he if Trump gracefully bows out. But I doubt it. Oh, don't get me wrong. My governor is very capable of uh, shenanigans and antics. <laughs> he understands how to you work the issues and make the speeches and bring up the things that are the red meat stuff. So uh, he is certainly capable of that. We're going to take a real quick break. We'll be back in just a moment here on The Debate. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Welcome back to the debate. I'm Andrew Tallman, and today we've got Amani Wells and Yoha and John Daniel Davidson. And uh, we spent a little bit of time in the last segment talking about the GOP side. Let's talk about your side of the aisle for a moment, Amani. Uh, what's your read? Uh, l- let's assume that the Republicans take the House barely. Let's assume that things stay 50 50 in the Senate or not even that well um, from the Republican perspective. So it's a divided government, but not certainly a red wave. What does that mean going forward for the Biden agenda? Yeah, um, I think it's crucial, crucial, crucial that any last pieces of that agenda he couldn't get through in the last two years, he absolutely must give the voters something tangible when they're entering that poll in 2024. If he doesn't, then I think that red wave that we are anticipating this time may actually come to be and we could very much possibly lose the presidency and the House and Senate. So I think he had a lot of things that were not helpful. Uh, we had Kirsten in cinema, uh, Joe Manchin, and just I don't believe he was super aggressive in this first term. He tried to get some things done, like the Inflation Reduction Act and, you know, our stimmy. I see a scowl of skepticism from John. So we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But go ahead, Amani. Yeah, I think there's some, there's just a lot to be done. Um, I think that the Democratic agenda kind of is going to be up in the air, especially because I know they were touting Stacey Abrams as like one of the big party leaders coming up in the next mm-hmm. couple of years. And she lost. So I think they are going to kind of be scrambling and being like, basically a O-S-H-I-T moment, like, what are we going to do next? I don't think they quite know, but I'm interested to see how it develops. I hope they figure something out. Do you do you read uh, President Biden as uh, being, uh, you know, he says he likes to do compromise, okay, and he says he likes to work across the aisle, and there is some history of that, sure. Do you think he's capable of saying, you know what, if this divided government is what I'm going to deal with, I can moderate, I can work across the aisle, I can build coalitions, even though I haven't had to in my first two years. Amani, do you read him as moving in that direction if he needs to? Or do you think he moves harder to the left and says, hey, we're going to do our stuff and let the voters decide in two years? I think he absolutely is willing to moderate. I think like throughout his 50 years, remember, he's been here a long time Uh, throughout his 50 years being an elected. He's always worked for Republicans. He's voted with them quite often when he was a senator. So it's not um, it's something that's it's not something that isn't in his DNA. It's just a matter of crafting a bill that can get through. Um, and I think sometimes a lot of us on the left are wanting these big, broad, lofty things passed all at once. And I think if we just start doing small incremental changes, as long as we're moving incrementally, it can even be centimeters and inches. As long as we're moving slowly in the right direction, I think voters will be able to receive that better. At least we move from here to here. It may not have been from here to here, but at least we're going into 2024 in a different place than we left off at. I think that's all I want to see. John, I know it's kind of a lot to think about to respond to there, but do you see uh, Biden adapting? Is he capable of doing the more bipartisan approach? What does he need to do, you think, in the next two years? If, again, if Republicans take a slim majority in the House and can kind of thwart things that way. I would not put too much stock in Biden's ability or willingness to compromise. Uh, And I wouldn't put too much stock in his past Senate record. Remember, Biden pretty much had to repudiate his entire political career to win the Democratic nomination in 2020 and and, uh, and and get sort of the Bernie Sanders wing of the party on board. Uh, he reversed his positions on almost every major issue uh, going back, you know, 40 years in the Senate. So he's not, it's not like, uh, 
he, he's a, he is a moderate at this stage in his career. Most of his agenda, most of the positions he's taken and the things that he's tried to push forward uh, do not come out of like the, the center of the moderate democratic sort of side of the party. Uh, my read on Biden and Biden administration, and, and a lot of people on the right uh, have this read, is that he is in some ways enthralled to the left wing uh, of the Democratic Party, the Bernie Sanders, AOC wing, uh, and so is Nancy Pelosi, for that matter. Uh, and and part of the reason that his agenda has stalled out is because he has been forced into putting forward these really big, radical, Green New Deal type of bills uh, that really don't have the support, not just of Republicans, but not enough Democrats. You mentioned Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin. Um, you know, so I, I don't see anything in the past two years that have indicated Biden has a willingness or capability to reach across the aisle at this stage in his career and at this stage in sort of our political moment to be able to compromise because his left wing will will go crazy if he does that if he re if he tries to work with kevin mccarthy and mitch mcconnell to craft some sort of a bill that's acceptable to enough republicans to get passed uh, i i just don't see him doing that i don't see the evidence for it amani do you i mean do you agree with that assessment i'm very because you know i know how i see it okay mm -hmm. and john and i kind of tend to view this a little bit similarly but do you view uh, President Biden's use of his power in the first two years as moving farther to the left, catering to that mm -hmm. side of the Democratic Party to the extent that they would be angry with him if he yep. does try to work more with the GOP and, and run down the middle a little bit? Um, I don't think he's that left, <laughs> you know, like I still look at him as a good old, he is moderate, moderate, moderate. I still feel that way about Nancy Pelosi too. I feel like they talk a good game when it comes to this left wing stuff and they dab dabble their feet in it, you know, and they rally around it. But when it comes down to the agenda, even if we just look at the makeup of some of these bills, they're not that progressive. Um, and the progressive stuff that he did put in some of the bills was stripped out immediately and he was still willing to pass them. So I don't agree with that. I think he could do more. But at the same time, this is just a left wing problem. And I rant about this all the time. But like on the left, the left, we cannibalize each other a lot. Like if one person in the party isn't doing something the exact way that we want it done, then we fight, we infight a lot, and then nothing gets done, and then we're just mad at each other. Um, the Republicans do the opposite. They will find one thing, and they're like, this is our thing. We are going to ride this thing till the wheels fall off, and if you fall off the bandwagon, you get left. So I think if the Democrats can come together with the left part of the party, with the right part of the party, just find out the thing. What is the thing? And that's why when you were asking me, like, what are they going to do next year? I don't know. I don't think they know. I don't think they know what that thing is going to be. Are we all going to agree on raising the minimum wage? If so, to what? What's that number? Let's fight on it. Are we all going to agree for um, a healthcare solution? What is that going to be? Let's agree on it. Let's fight on it. I think that's what they need to do is consolidate all of these things that they want done, find something that they can agree on that makes sense, that's passable, and focus on that thing. You know, the uh, the real pitch in the last several weeks, and it's been a little bit longer than that, but in the last several weeks, the real pitch is Get out there and vote. Save democracy. Right. You know, President Obama, President Biden. That was the pitch. Uh, these election deniers are going to be the end of the republic and so on and so forth. Uh, do you think that message is a winning message for the president and for Democrats? Or, I mean, did that help turn the tide? Because uh, to me, I look at this election, I think 
This is exactly the kind of complicated mess that a really mm-hmm. healthy democracy produces. John, what do you think? Yeah, it, I, it's hard to make an argument that uh, democracy is under threat when record numbers of people are coming out to vote. And you have, as you said, a really messy mixed bag and obviously like a really kind of like race by race dynamic playing out all over the country. Um, You know, it, it may have helped motivate some turnout this time around. It's going to be very difficult to keep making that case, you know, going into 2024, you can only kind of run, uh, on Trump as, uh, you know, as like this, this specter hanging over the country for so long, right? Uh, Even if Trump decides to run, even if he gets the nomination in 2024, I think Democrats are going to be hard pressed to be like, ah, you can't, you have to vote for Democrats because Trump's here and, and he'll destroy the country. Like we all know, uh, even if we don't all want to admit it, that, uh, you know, Trump wasn't a dictator, right? He lost and he left office. Uh, he, he may not have done so gracefully. Uh, he may uh, have, you know, spread crazy. I think conspiracy. not doing so gracefully might be an understatement. But <laughs> right. But yeah, the but point, no, the, good, the point is there he was left, a, right. The, yeah, that he left. He, he, he wasn't the dictator that we were told that he would be. He didn't overthrow the Constitution and put an end to, you know, Republican constitutionalism. So I, I think it's going to be hard to keep up that sort of like, level nine hysteria that democracy is on the ballot. Democracy isn't on the ballot. Democracy is the ballot. (laughs) Okay. So Democrats are now going to be hard pressed to come up with something to run on instead of just running against Trump or the specter of Trump. Yeah, Uh, Amani, it seems to me like if Trump does wind up winning the nomination, if he runs again and if he wins the nomination, that certainly reopens the opportunity to turn, you know, democracy on the ballot into the the rallying call because it's him. But if it's not him, that's going to be a pretty hard case to make, don't you think? A hundred percent. And this democracy is on the ballot thing. Listen, democracy is the bare minimum. Okay, if we have to go to the poll for the sake of democracy. That's sad. Okay. We are a democracy. We're a democratic republic. That's, that's what we are. So we need to find something that is, again, I keep saying this word, but something tangible. Like last year, we went to a lot of like the democratic conventions and stuff. And some flyers they were literally handing out was like, we are not Republicans. That is the bottom tier thing that you can run on. What else? What else? (laughs) So I'm hoping that, again, they can have some in my mind, this big, giant secret come to Jesus moment is going to happen over there. They're going to meet in some room and they are going to be like, listen, y'all get it together. I hope that happens. If not, then, yeah, we are in trouble because that's not enough. People still got to pay all this money for gas. The housing market is crazy. People's lot people still dying from diseases or not even diseases, just basic sicknesses because they can't afford to get their checkups every year. Like there's still very basic things that are are facing a lot of Americans that we need to focus on solutions for. And if we could find those solutions, people will be happy to vote. You know, uh, apart from the personalities and certainly, you know, who's going to be running for president. And I actually have one follow up on that. I want to be sure to ask you guys about, especially on the Democratic side. But I also want to get into some of the uh, the sort of the issues that were amendment based. And uh, the big story, of course, has been marijuana, has been abortion, not as much guns this time around. Kind of interestingly, we'll talk about all that when we come back to the debate on Newsweek.
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We're back on the debate at Newsweek. And uh, Mani, I want to start with you. I just have a real quick question that we didn't get in the last segment, which is um, who's the next star in the Democratic Party? Is there, I mean, do you think Biden runs again in two years? And who do you think, if not him, or is somebody going to challenge him that's going to come out of, maybe we know, maybe we don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of really great contenders. I have one in mind, but who do you think? (laughs) I don't know who the contender is. Um, I would be really- Michelle Obama? Did I say that out loud? (laughs) Is she? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, that would be- they really they don't have anybody else right now. Michelle Obama would be nice. Uh, that would be cool, I guess. You know, but I don't think they their the, their chosen one did not win. So now this kind of threw the whole it kind of threw their entire plan. Um, Biden running again, he likely will. Um, do I think it's the best idea? No, but do I think at this moment, other than Bernie Sanders, that's my guy. But my poor baby Bernie, he probably tired. He probably don't want to run again. Okay, so. <laughs> His Other than that, out. I really don't know. <laughs> Let him rest, okay? <laughs> Let that poor baby rest. He's been working his whole life. <laughs> Let him rest. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. Like your guess is as good as mine because it was all a lot of their plan was um beholden to Stacey winning. And because she did not, I think this kind of throws the whole party for a loop. Yeah. And you saw some of the, you know, real rising stars in the Democratic Party failed badly yesterday. Right. Stacey Abrams, uh, Beto O'Rourke both got beat handily. Val Demings got crushed in Florida and she looked I mean, you know, former police chief, you can't really accuse her of some of the things that the right often tries to tag on Democrats uh, just got demolished by Marco Rubio. Maybe down ballot effects from being with with, the you know, the governor, but still the bench for the Democrats to me looks pretty thin. On the Republican side, you have all kinds of people. You have Rubio, you have Cruz, you had you had Sass until he went to the University of Florida. But you know, you have a whole bunch of possibilities there, John. Um, putting aside the possibility that you know it's going to be uh, on the GOP side, you know, DeSantis or Trump or maybe somebody else on the on the Democrat side. Who do you see? Is there somebody that you see other than Biden coming forward? Democrats have a huge succession problem on their hands, assuming that Biden is capable of running in two years. I mean, physically and mentally, he'll be the oldest uh, sitting president in U.S. history. Um, they, they have a problem if, he's, if he decides to run, because a lot of people are going to say Biden is too old and he's, he's clearly uh, not as sharp as he used to be. Um, and if he doesn't, then they have a succession problem in Kamala Harris, who's very unpopular, who I think does not really stand much of a chance of winning a national election. Remember, she dropped out of the Iowa caucuses, I, I, I think prior to the Iowa caucuses, because she was polling so low in uh, the Democratic primaries at the beginning of the last cycle. Uh, they really have had a bench problem, as you say. Since uh, Obama left office, remember, Obama left the Democratic Party in a very difficult position when he left office in 2016. Um, governors mansions and state houses across the country had had uh, 
Democrats had suffered very bad losses over the course of Obama's two terms in office. And for whatever reason, and, and I'm sure there are many intersecting and complicated reasons for this, but uh, the Obama era of the Democratic Party uh was very bad at sort of for the for the bench teams for the the farm teams out in the states where you do want to be cultivating the next generation of leaders and the other problem the democrats have with regard to people like Beto O'Rourke and Stacey Abrams is that their status as rising stars uh, was largely a creation of a sympathetic media that gave them glossy profiles and Vanity Fair covers and made it seem like they were these rising stars and these democratic juggernauts that were going to sort of take the party and take the country by storm. And it was, it was in some ways a kind of media mirage. Beto O'Rourke was never going to win a statewide race in Texas. That was just never going to happen. He burned something like $200 million trying to, <laughs> trying to show that it could happen. Uh, but, but these factors are combining together to make it, uh, to give Democrats what looks like a kind of unsolvable problem in two years. So you, any of that you disagree with, Amani, or I saw you kind of nodding your head for a lot of it. Anything there that you really uh, take exception with? Um, he is correct. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he is correct. You are correct. Um, no, well, I you. don't disagree at all. There is, I definitely agree with what you're saying about like the bench team, and there's just a different ugh, girl who's out of my own. Um, there is a different. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but you can tell you you want your side to win. I can yeah. tell who you're attached to and who you're disappointed to have lost. But you know, you're exactly. being pretty realistic about this, and uh, you know, I, I think that's honest. I love that. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it's a it's a cultural thing with the party. Like um, the Democrats don't. Like you said, they don't foster leadership. They don't kind of welcome in new people with open arms. There's not a lot of mentorship going on over there. Um, and you'll see even with the craziest of people, MTG over on the Republican side. Yeah, they stripped they stripped her of her abilities to do something, but she still gets to be front and center and part of the Republican Party. Um, and there's a lot of young people like Ron DeSantis and um, a lot of the other younger folks over there that are coming up into power and to relevance. So we do have a problem with that. Um, we have the squad, but do I see any of them running for president? No, um, I don't see it happening anytime soon. And if they do, I would be interested to see what that looks like because it's like, it goes back to this national thing. Like you can be a shining star. You can be a wonderful person with great policies, but can you win on a national race? We've just seen that fail us twice in a row with Beto and Stacey. So those are the real questions. Um, do we have somebody like that who can win? Win is the magic word. <laughs> and I do not know who that person is. I think, I mean, that's a fair assessment and I, I can hear the concern in your voice. I said we would talk a little bit about some of the issues. Uh, we saw both abortion and marijuana measures show up on the ballot this time. Um, kind of interesting results, right? Marijuana, uh, I think marijuana was on what five states and it actually lost in three of them and one in two, which I was surprised by. It just seems like everywhere it goes on the ballot, it wins. Have we reached the kind of maximum expansion of the legalized marijuana state, Amani? Um, it was very interesting to see it lose. I didn't think that was possible, but um, I think it's what we were talking about earlier. Like some states are just those states. Like I saw the new map of Texas from this election. It's as red and bright, bright red as it's ever been. Um, marijuana didn't pass in Arkansas. 
super red, super conservative state. So some people in regions are just how who they are and how they are. Um, but then there's other people who will surprise us like Kansas and Kentucky and all those other places where sometimes these ballot initiatives do get passed. So, John? I think one of the things with marijuana is that the longer we have legalization, the more people have sort of time to see that it's not always this unalloyed good. It's not this unmitigated positive to have marijuana legalization. It's a very potent drug. It's a lot more potent than it used to be. And, and I think, uh, in some places, the, the, the failure of these initiatives to pass has to do with a, a kind of hesitancy on the part of voters who, who are maybe less willing to embrace legalization now than they would have been, uh, e- even a few years ago, just because of, um, because you can see the effects of legalization more clearly. You, you hear about news reports of increased rates of, of psychosis, especially amongst young people who are using this stuff daily now. It's very easy to get a hold of. Um, some of the problems with uh, the potency being so high and the availability of this and the marketing of it to younger and younger people, I, I think there, you know, there's a sensible suspicion uh, this kind of creeping into the electorate about marijuana that maybe we rushed into this a little bit too quickly. And I, I think it, the results reflected that at, at least that, you know, that's it, my, that's my read on the results. You know, it's a fine enough, uh, you know, philosophical debating point when it's illegal to say it's no worse than alcohol and therefore, uh, but when you finally have it implemented in what 19 States plus two yesterday, uh, we're seeing some results and the, you know, you know, the experiment of the states is showing us right. maybe what we didn't know was going to be the case. We're going to take one last quick break. But when we get back, I got to be honest, I'm very disappointed in both of you today. So little fighting, so little disagree. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually uh, wonderful for a change to uh, hear people from such different perspectives agreeing quite a bit on their assessment of things, or at least, you know, in similar, uh, you know, kind of harmonious uh, tones. But when we come back, I am guaranteeing you I can start a fight. It'll be over food. <laughs> It'll be about Thanksgiving. We'll be back on the debate. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We're back for our final segment here on the debate at Newsweek. All right. You can always find a good fight over food because nobody ever agrees 100% about food. So if I can't find a fight on food, I don't know if I'm doing my job wrong or something, but uh, Amani, I'm going to start with you. We're coming up to Thanksgiving. Um, key elements to the Thanksgiving dinner, obviously, turkey, stuffing, sweet potatoes. I hope you agree with everything I've said so far. Here's the question. On your sweet potatoes, what goes on them? Oh, wow. Okay. I'm Southern, y'all. So I'm from Dallas. So we like to do lots of butter. Okay. It's actually the most unhealthy way in the world. I thought Is butter you- came with the sweet potato. I thought that was a part of the sweet potato. So go ahead though. Go ahead. How much? So this is what we do. We put it in like a big boiling pot. You cut up the sweet potatoes into little cubes and you put like an absurd amount of butter in there. Dare I say an entire <laughs> thing. An, entire an embarrassing potato. amount. All right. An embarrassing amount. You drench it in sugar. Okay. You put some cinnamon in Brown there. Brown sugar though, right? Brown sugar. 
brown sugar and right. white sugar. We don't discriminate against the sugars. Whatever sugar <laughs> you put it in the pot, lid on. Interracial sugar, sugar mixing. Interracial I like it. sugar. You let it simmer for like an hour. And that is going to be the best way you could ever eat sweet potatoes. It is not good for you. You will be in a coma. <laughs> um, your blood pressure, blood sugar will be off for like a week, but it's worth it. I found a new way to maybe try sweet potatoes. John, sweet potatoes come with what and not with what? Well, you've succeeded in picking in provoking a fight here. Uh, sweet Thank potatoes, God. sweet potatoes are not even on the menu. Okay, they're not even <laughs> on the menu. Uh, maybe that's. Uh, but you that's like food, food though, right? Just to be I sure, do you like do food. Like you like food. Okay, that's right, not, just it's not traditional on. of me. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy on the right, so I should be more traditional. But in this respect, no, uh, I don't like sweet potatoes. We don't even, we don't even prepare them. They're, they're. they're uh, What's your starch? <laughs> White potatoes? Just normal. Uh, potatoes, uh, mashed potatoes, regular old. Okay. Ma- right. Mashed potatoes, gravy, you know, uh, 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 turkey, uh, cranberry sauce, all, all the other, the traditional things. But you, you, you picked the one thing that, that we leave out. I found, I found the weak spot, the, uh, the, the weak's point in the armor. Well, um, John, I, I, I would say I disagree with you, but honestly, I just feel more sorry for you. I think at this point <laughs> it's, um, cause I just feel like somebody who can't enjoy the sweet potato is, I, you know, having a lesser life, you know, not really living your full self. Uh, so for me, it's, uh, you know, you bake them. And then as Amani says, you always add as much butter as you can possibly endure and afford uh, brown sugar. I like to put uh, coconut and uh, any kind of nuts will do, but typically pecans are the best to put on there. So you're kind of mixing your genres. You're making almost a uh, 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 pecan pie uh, when you're putting your sweet potatoes together. And um, do, do you like sweets, though, John? Can we is there some yeah, there's kind no, of there's, cookie, there's candy, no reason- cake, anything that you eat? There's no reason to bastardize the pecan pie. Just have a nice pecan pie <laughs> and a nice pumpkin pie. You know, uh, just keep 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 things in their lane. You know, away uh, from the d- sweet potato. That's okay. right. That's right. Keep them away from the sweet potatoes. Have y'all ever just don't had like a sweet the- potato pie? Oh yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. good. I think okay. John's going to say no, though. So, all right. You know, hey, better things in life, maybe in the future. <laughs> well, um, John Davidson, uh, Amani Wells, and Yoha, thank you so much for the conversation. It was really interesting. I super appreciate the time. Uh, you guys were fantastic. We look forward to having both of you back again for the debate at Newsweek. I'm Andrew Tallman. <laughs>